Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Love Lined. I guess I should say that full disclosure, we had a different episode planned for today, but then the real life kind of intruded on our podcast that we wanted to be about Love Line with Dr. Drew being a shithead about COVID-19 and then Will Arnett also being in the news with regard to the weird Queeby stuff that happened or Kibi, I don't know how it's pronounced, but that happened this week too. And so now this thing that we wanted to be like this, you know, fun retrospective where we talk about uh, sex and teenagers and all that stuff, it turns out it's just, it all matters now. And so we got to talk about current events and so with me today to talk about the current events is my other co-host, Andrew. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I am okay, but I'm recording from home, which means you might from time to time hear my daughter in the background, uh, but there should be less of an industrial refrigerator behind me. So that's good. I mean, is that a plus or a minus? Because you really got to think about those things like child versus industrial equipment. Yeah, I mean, not if you're the UK in the late 80s. Those are two great tastes that taste great together, but yeah. So yeah, um, talking about Dr. Drew in the news and uh, doing uh, copyright, but not R-I-G-H-T, but W-R-I-T-E. He he did make that fuck up. I'm I'm not making that as a joke. He uh, tried to sue people for posting or making a, a, uh, a compilation of all of Dr. Drew's comments about COVID-19 and how it's no big deal. And then also all of his predictions uh, that um, he kept on contradicting himself and then also moving the goalposts on that. Like specifically uh, towards the beginning of the year, uh, he was pretty stalwart about, you know, hey, this is no big deal. It'll be fine. Um, actually, the flu's more dangerous. Have you ever thought about that? The flu's, the flu's pretty dangerous. And then... Uh, yeah, so shockingly, all of the Republican talking points. And I would like to point out that... Dr. Drew's a Republican? <laughs> yeah, he's a Republican, I know. But the thing that I want to get across is that that the first episode that we put in the feed last week was actually recorded in early March. And it kind of predates a lot of this stuff. And it feels really weird for the like the things that we said on that podcast to just be made manifest very quickly of just like, oh, Dr. Drew was a Reagan Republican. And I, I sort of said that offhandedly. And then he turns up like a few weeks later in this supercut, just repeating all of the Republican talking points about COVID-19. Well, the, the thing that's really impressive about it is um, that he's always on Fox News after ever since he lost his HLN show. So uh, yeah, I didn't even I didn't even know that part. Because I don't pay, like, I pay attention to, like, the, the big Fox News people. I don't pay attention to, like, the weird guests they have. And so I actually didn't know that when I when I made that comment that he's a Reagan Republican, I did not know that he was a standard, like, Fox, Fox News guest. Well, the, the thing that's really, really impressive, though, is that he had a, he had a show on CNN's uh, HLN network, the headline news. And do you know what was the, uh, the thing that got him um, fired from that and lost his show on there? He was smack talking mother in 2017. Oh, really? Yeah, he was uh, saying like like he's literally just talking about how like Hillary Clinton didn't have you know the stamina or the the healthy and what uh, the the healthy uh, outlook or whatever. And um, he he lost his show if if I remember reading through things. But uh, I don't watch TV, and I was researching this and going through it or whatever, and like what was mixed in a little bit because you type in Dr. Drew controversy, and um, it's a little bit of a Pandora's box at this point. But he's been on Fox News all the time, and um, 
you know, with the recent COVID stuff and whatnot, he was, he, he was towing the party line, you know, it's no big deal. Like I was set to actually go on vacation next month and, you know, go visit you. And I'm not going to, you know, say that, oh, I, I know what I'm talking about and all this other stuff because I was just like, oh, well, it's just like the flu. It's whatever. But like things got really, really real, really, really quickly. And he's a public doctor. But it also turns out that he's a public doctor in the same way that Dr. Oz is a doctor. Or Dr. Phil is a doctor where, you know, it's just it's just hokum. It's it's bullshit. Yeah. And that's really fascinating that he got kicked off HLN for criticizing Hillary and talking about medical stuff like that, because like it does feel like. I don't want to say like we to a certain extent, we really did know that Dr. Drew was this kind of person all along, but it also does feel like he's like in a breaking bad kind of way. He has like slowly descended into madness because when things would happen with public figures and health stuff back when he was on Loveline, he was very quick to say like, oh, I can't diagnose them. I'm not their doctor and all of this stuff. And he, he like, it feels like he was a lot more careful in the past. And then he kind of lost everything because I guess I'm pretty sure at this point, he's probably not practicing as an actual doctor anymore. Like for a long time, he had his practice with the addiction medicine in Pasadena and at the Pasadena Recovery Center. And then, but I think he lost that after celebrity rehab. And then I guess he lost his HLN show, like you said, and so it feels like he's become less and less careful as the meaningfulness of his public platform has diminished. And and it's a it's a big turn from Loveline, which kind of started off as a public service type thing. The origins of it was, you know, he he got his start in the uh, the mid '80s and whatnot. So like, and he was kind of the front lines of during the uh, the grid slash AIDS pandemic. Uh, when, 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 when that was going on. So like, it kind of has this, like his origin story is kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. when that was going on. So like, it kind of has this, like his origin story is kind of, you know, public radio ish. Like it, it, I don't ever think that it was like a public radio show. Yeah, it wasn't, but yeah, yeah. It was trying to do a good thing and give people advice they needed at a critical time. And it, it went from a public service to a commercial product to a like reality TV show product into like the hyper reality that is, you know, going on, uh, having his own podcast network and going on Fox news as being a, um, a talking head doctor and whatnot. So that's the thing that I would like you to, I would like to ask you because I've been frantically Googling while you've been explaining this to me. And you say he got, he was trying to take things down based on copyright claims, but I can't see that he has his own podcast network. And in the background of some of those clips in the supercut, there's a giant like fluorescent man show logo. And so I assumed that he just was became employed by Adam at Adam's podcast studio. That is my understanding. I don't I didn't really look into it at all and whatnot, but like um, he, he, he did the, uh, the, the real cool thing of having your phone and put it on the face mode. So like, you know, the video is grainy as hell and it's capped at like 24 or 30 frames. But, uh, yeah, the, there's the giant Mancho logo, which is, um, once again, another relic of the past. I don't know where he's recording, but I think it's only an internet show now. And he's, he's relegated to appearances on Fox news from time to time and, um, just podcasts. 
Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to look up what the details are because that's one of the things about that first episode is we were just trying things out and seeing what might work and we didn't prepare as much as we should have and so I said a bunch of things about people's like incomes and things and things I had to bleep out later and so we're going to try to be a bit more careful in the future when we talk about things to at least do the basic googling. Well, the thing specifically about this time like like this has nothing to do with past episodes and things like that but um Dr. Drew is trying to take down- down, like that uh, that super cut of him just you know showing his ass about COVID-19 uh, via like D uh, oh, DMCA yeah, yeah so I think he stopped that so there's a news article four days ago that says like oh Dr. Drew apologizes he rescinds the, the copyright claim for a while like you know the the super cut did go viral for a certain section of the uh, of the internet populace and whatnot and he was trying to, to squash it because you know there's there's literally probably, you know, about an hour or two hours worth of, you know, him just, you know, showing his ass like the supercut was five minutes. And it's pretty damning because it also has the time. It has the date stamp on it, too. And you can see exactly when his uh, his attitude on it changed over time. It's just it's very wild to to see that kind of thing in the U.S. But I mean, that's part of what that's what U.S. media was doing, even left wing media like it. The the thing that I remember is like you would see all this stuff out of China on Twitter in in January, and the response to it from from like liberal media in the United States was, oh, like look at how much China's overreacting to this. Look at how authoritarian they are. They're shutting down Wuhan, and people can't get out, and they're they're obviously lying about the number of deaths and all this. And and also there was like the selective editing thing because I know that the one that there was one video that went pretty viral, uh, specifically in Wuhan, where um like people were stopping a woman crossing her bridge or whatever. And the full video is like five minutes, and it shows her being difficult and you know her actually jumping off the bridge into a river or something, then the police fetching her out and all this other stuff. But, um, you know, in typical American media fashion, they just clipped, you know, the, the police harassing this woman and whatnot, but like she was not obeying orders and being in America and being, you know, on lockdown for the last uh, almost month now, it's kind of hard to see how anything would really change considering that the response here hasn't been very serious. Like, yes, we're trying, but also we're recording this um, on the eve of Easter and everybody's starting to talk about, well, when can we reopen everything? And when can, when can we go back to normal? And, oh, well, we hit the peak. So so how can we go back to uh, to business as usual, despite, you know, unemployment numbers and everything like that spiking and being insane? Yeah, there's this weird overhang in the U.S. where there's people uh, people really don't realize how bad things are about to get because the April unemployment numbers only captured the first half of March when things were pretty much fine. And when the unemployment actual numbers, like not just people applying for unemployment, but like the actual percentage figure comes out in early May, people are going to go insane. The market's going to crash and we're going to have like all of this round two and it's going to be worse than like 2008. And people don't understand that that's what's going to happen. And and more importantly is um, right now the response of not only the federal government, but also state governments and whatnot have been to try to make this be the worst response possible to like extend this out as far as possible. Like I wouldn't be terribly surprised if COVID-19 is pretty much solved by the end of the year for most countries in the world. But the U S is going to try to like, you know, extend this to 2023 if we can. Yeah. (laughs) If this is true, you're going to go to jail, buddy. 
I don't want to derail too hard on this because this is going to be about love love line. But the one thing that that I noticed like yesterday uh, on that topic was Slate Political Gab Fest was doing this thing where the one of the like the two of the hosts, John Dickerson and the other guy who works for Atlas Obscura, were trying to say like. Oh, you know, poor people, people who need healthcare right now, they're just really distracted by the fact that they're poor and they don't have healthcare. And so now is not the time, like they don't have enough spoons to really be able to understand candidates that are offering them healthcare and universal income. We just can't talk about those things right now. It's, it's really cool that uh, the patronizing of the less fortunate um, will march on regardless. Yeah, exactly. And I, I got to give it up to one of the hosts on there that like really pushed back on it, but it was it was really stunning. To hear that it's like you, now is not the time to talk about universal health care. So, and if now is not the time, then when is the time? And I, I brought up universal health care on the on the first episode too, but it it became it be, has become really important now because access to health care is one of those things that bends the curve on COVID nineteen. And America just is not going to do it. Well, we're going to do it for COVID-19. And, and, and that's it. Just just COVID-19 and uh, anything else like, I mean, what are you going to do? It's nothing you can do in the richest country on earth, you know? Hey. So so speaking of uh, nothing that you can do, the um, the episode that, that we decided to go for this one was uh, one with Will Arnett. And he was also in the news because... He started to do this web show with his company Quibi. So is it is it Quibi? Did you find a pronunciation guide? Did you find anything on that? Right now is not the time for pronunciation stuff, considering that everybody's... That's true. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody's yeah. freaking out about uh, Mako energy versus Mako energy in Final Fantasy VII Remake. It is true. So let's not, you know, quibble over Quibi right now. But anyways, uh, Quibi's in the news and uh, Will Arnett is out of a, uh, a paying job because they just straight up ripped off that Twitter account, Everything is Terrible, where they go find uh, lost footage and like, you know, just crazy VHS tapes from the 80s and 90s and like, you know, going into 2000 well vhs well vhs tapes or they literally just searched youtube because there was something about like the super bowl shuffle being on there and then mentioning it, it as like some some gem that they had uncovered that nobody knew about and maybe it's just because i'm from chicago but it's just like nobody forgot about the super bowl shuffle it's it's okay like you can like it's it's fine if you want to broadcast it and be like hey this shit's weird because it is very weird and it's fun but don't like pretend you discovered it. Don't go all Patrick Klepek on it. You didn't discover it. You just got it on the internet. Yeah, the uh, the thing that's uh, kind of funny for me is that um, I listen to the A4 Play podcast and they basically do, like at the end of the episode, they always append like some crazy clip and it's completely out of context or whatever. And usually it's like from a YouTube video or something like that. But it's just audio. So it's just like, you know, somebody just saying something or doing something weird or making a funny noise for like a minute and a half. Anyways, going back to like this whole Quibi thing, like they ripped off the aesthetic completely. Like it's an 80s thing. It's like a red grid. I can't remember what the actual show is. Oh, Memory Hole. Yeah, Memory Hole was the thing. I think that Memory Hole is also like the name of the Everything is Terrible thing too. Oh, it does. Yeah, it does. It yeah it says that right here. Yeah. It's literally like a one-to-one thing and um, it's it's pretty brazen and uh, it is a Meg Whitman venture. I, yeah, I saw that. It, it is my favorite part as an HP fanboy and as a uh, failed Republican. Well, I know, but yeah, you need to explain who Meg Whitman is because I really doubt the people listening to this podcast as former Loveline fans and leftists are really going to know a lot about Meg Whitman. So please 
Please tell us about Meg Whitman. So so Meg Whitman was brought in as CEO of HP. If you know anything about HP and their terrible practices surrounding printers, she was the one that was really, really saying, we need to go in this direction in about the mid-2000s. And she was unanimously voted out of the company by the board. Like she did such a terrible job that. Um, and then like nobody heard from her again. And then she just comes back like 16 years later with Queeby. She just did nothing in between. No, 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 no. She she ran for public office. Uh, I think she ran for governor of California. Oh, really? You might want to fact check me on that one. But she did try to get into politics. And much like her tenure at HP and um, looking like her new uh, venture project in Quibi, um, it went exactly as planned and um, didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She ran for for governor of California as a Republican. What is it with California Republicans? They're a special breed. It's very similar to poor black people living in like Louisiana or something. Like they get written off by everybody nationwide because they're from a state that votes one way and is known to be one way. But then when you look at the actual, like the regional forces at play in that state, there's actually like a lot of Republicans in California. Like there's more Republicans in California than there are in many of these tiny red states. I mean, I mean, that, that does kind of happen when you technically are the fifth largest economy in the world. In conclusion, California is a land of contrast. I want to mention my favorite thing. It's not a, it's not a complete list, but it's just like the highlights of the list of original programs distributed by Quibi. There's one that is Chrissy's Court, a Judge Judy-style reality show starring Chrissy Teigen. Speaking of California Republicans. There's some Steven Spielberg thing. There's a, a show called Kill the Efrons, a survival reality show starring Zac Efron and his brother Dylan, where the pair will be sent to remote parts of the world. Like, like, like remote parts of the world or remote resorts in the world? Well... Who knows, right? I, I assume it's like it's similar to I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here or something. And there's one called Fierce Queens, a documentary series somehow involved with the BBC, which shows natural history from a female perspective, which could be fine. But given the sort of everything else, um, their recent history makes me feel like that's not going to be. The greatest thing. Well, well, listen, it's the prestige, you know, podcast out of the group. Like everything else is, you know, the dreck that pays the bills, but they have this one thing that, you know, gets them a daytime Emmy. I guess they're just, they're online. They're just like, they're like a YouTube channel. I mean, I'm going to show my age here and be like, I'm an old man, even though I'm only in my early thirties, but like, I don't understand all these premium content networks. It is very strange when there's so much content on YouTube. I don't understand how anybody can get any kind of production thing off the ground because it does feel like the first question an investor should ask is how are you doing this in a way that's competitive with the 14 year old who's doing it for free? The first real effort for this was like Mahalo Daily and all it did was provide all those awful... Um, mixed drink videos where like they didn't supply the bartender with any of the stuff. So she's just like, all right, well, if you're not taking this seriously, I'm not going to take it seriously too. And, uh, was doing some Sandra Lee ass pours <laughs> on, you know, classic Manhattans or <laughs> and whatnot. 
It's like, yeah, and you take an orange slice and, you know, she just puts in half an orange in there. Yeah, th- I mean, that's true. This does feel like a relic of like the late 2000s. It doesn't feel like a thing that should be happening now. Yeah, th- especially for a 2020 launch. They launched in 2020? Wow. Launched April 6th, 2020. And immediately got like taken down. <laughs> they had planned to spend 1.1 billion commissioning original content, including over 175 shows. What the hell? You literally cannot explain it. It doesn't make sense. And it's like Jeffrey Katzenberg, like animation guy from Disney is involved with this. This is just, this is some real rich people are on some shit kind of stuff, you know? There's definitely like some Jeffrey Epstein level shit going on like somewhere. Like why, why would you launch a content network in 2020, a premium content network in 2020, a brand new one from, you know, the backing of Meg Whitman and uh, some guy from Disney. It, it doesn't make sense. Best show on television, The Man Show. We should probably talk about the Loveline episode, and let me just pull it up here to make sure that I get the date right, because that's that's part of my commitment to you. The date is 2004, March 14th, about 16 years and and change. Yeah, and a little bit earlier, maybe a couple months earlier than the one that we previously did. A a couple months earlier, and uh, I know that this is a Sunday because uh, Arrested Development aired on Sundays, and this was Season 1, Episode 15 of Arrested Development. And don't ask me the episode title or what happened in it, but it had approximately about 5 million views. That's pretty crazy to me because um, – so we'll we'll just launch into this then. Like you, you set it up well and we'll just launch into it. So my first note that I have is that like I had assumed that it was earlier in the season, which I know based on the dates that you told me, you know, stuff tends to pr- premiere in the fall and then end in early May. And so I should have known that it actually wasn't that early in the season. But from the way that Dr. Drew and Adam are talking about it where they're like, we've never seen this thing. They clearly don't know what it is. The stars there are not – doing a great job of explaining what it is either because it, it, it doesn't even seem clear to them what it would become. Uh, I guess just a, just a time out. Did you listen to the Will Arnett episode or did you listen to the Jason Bateman and Will Arnett episode? Jason Bateman and Will Arnett. I only listened to the Will Arnett one, so we listened to different episodes. Oh my God. Oh man. How can we salvage this? So we, we salvage it by just talking about both because we're, um, we're not going to – like let's just make this an omnibus – episode where we talk about both so uh so the episode that you listened to was october 28th 2003 which is around the premiere so this makes a lot more sense now okay so 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 john so john tell me about the first episode where will arnett was on and they did the hack bit so so actually this is going to be fine because not much notable happens in this episode except for the one thing that everybody remembers which is the hack like the this week on hack in order to reach these kids, hack is going to have to become a rape joke, like that kind of thing. But this this makes a lot more sense now because it was unclear at that point what Arrested Development was in October of 2003. Uh, I'm just going off of memory, but but I remember it meandering a little bit. And I know that uh, Will Arnett was into a little bit more than Jason Bateman was. And you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but like I'm going off of a memory from, you know, over 10 years ago. I I do remember the hack bit. And the interesting thing about the hack bit is that uh, Dr. Drew in the Will Arnett solo episode is the first one to drop the, uh, the, the hack is, you know, a rapist uh, punchline joke. Yeah. Yeah. And like that became, that became a thing and it became a thing very quickly. I guess the thing I wanted to say was that they're, they're, they don't know each other yet. And like 
like it seems like it's probably a lot more clear like what that bit was, what Arrested Development is, who Will Arnett is, and they just probably get right to it. And it's like a lot better of an episode. But at the one that I listened to uh, only a few months before that in October, there's like some weird stuff where they talk a lot about like Paul Anka, because I guess that Jason Bateman's related to Paul Anka somehow. Yeah, he's uh, I think Jason Bateman and his actual entire family is kind of like Hollywood. Well, Justine Bateman was on Family Ties, right? And he was in Teen Wolf, too. So he's got, you know, speaking of like Epstein, you know. <laughs> Time to start listening, goddammit. So Bateman in this October episode feels like he's kind of phoning it in and not taking it seriously. And then Will Arnett is actually like also kind of phoning it in, but finding it really fun to like just um, just like shoot the shit with Adam about these calls and stuff. But the other thing that happens is that, again, Corolla doesn't know when he's being fucked with. And similar to on the last episode, like the band was really like Ozumatli was really fucking with Adam a lot. There's some stuff that Jason Bateman says to Adam that's just incredibly deadpan that it really feels like Adam believes. It's funny in the context because Jason Bateman's character in Arrested Development is, you know, he's he's literally like the straight guy throughout the entire thing. So like the paper bag that says, you know, dead dove on it and he opens up and he's just like, I don't know what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so so it, it, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because um, on the solo Will Arnett episode, they just basically talk shop and it's all like, you know, Hollywood and stuff like that. And uh, Will Arnett, I'm not going to say that he's whining, but he's... Uh, Resident it's good. It's it's uh it's critically accepted, but you know, it's not a breakout hit. Like, you know, they don't have the you know the huge numbers, but if you go take a look at the at the viewership, and, and keep in mind this is in the context of 2003, 2004, like Resident was watched by over five million people on average. And like, you know, the first episode I think was closer to uh to seven or eight million viewers. The internet hadn't taken off yet, but like I know that Arrested Development has the the cult status and it's an online favorite and whatnot, but um, five million viewers now like seems pretty respectable. Like I don't know what what modern TV puts up. Like I couldn't tell you what the Good Place did or you know any any week of uh, Dancing with the Stars. But there's a lot of talk about um, about Shop and specifically um, Will Arnett being the voice of GMC. Yeah, he talked about that a little bit in the first. Uh, in the October episode, because Arrested Development kind of put both Will Arnett and Jason Bateman on the map in the modern day, and and so there's a there has to be this explanation of where did they come from, and so like Jason Bateman gets like the Paul Anka Justine Bateman intro a bit, and then Will Arnett is like, oh, you're married to Amy Poehler, and then also you do VO work for GMC. So so it's interesting with the Amy Poehler thing because he references his wife. But uh, but but never mentions that uh, that that Amy Poehler. Well, I just I think he probably he probably thought everybody knew at that point because it had been brought up. But but just mention his wife without saying, yeah, like you know, I'm also married to a celebrity or something like that. But she wasn't a celebrity at that point either because Parks and Rec hadn't started. I shouldn't put it that way because you you can rightly say that I'm wrong that she was in fact a celebrity because anybody who's on SNL is a celebrity. But she was like. One of the people on SNL, like one of the 13 people or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, her her star rose with Parks and Rec. And I think that's when Will Arnett and Amy Poehler split. So to put the, the viewership numbers in perspective, which is that like Arrested Development was seen as this like great show that never found an audience that was this kind of like criti- critical success, but mass pop culture failure. So The Good Place, 
only ever got more than 5 million viewers for about five episodes. That's interesting. And that was the season one premiere and the, then the week after, and then the season two premiere, those both drew, or those, those three dates drew for the, more than 5 million. And then it was like around 3 million, the entire rest of the run of the show. And The Good Place was considered a pretty big success. Listen, it's just the, the sliding scale and, you know, the standards just aren't what they used to be. But I mean, also we're living in 2020 now and there's not three channels like there were back in, you know, the 50s and 60s. It isn't basic cable where there's literally 100 channels now. It's it's interesting on how Will Arnett was was complaining about it. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's not a breakout success. I think part of that is probably what the network was just telling them that if you like look at Arrested Development, like from the network's perspective, that show was probably a nightmare because it had Rod Howard as the uh, as the executive producer on it and stuff. Well, yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, when you look at you're not are you going to come in and tell Ron Howard what to do? Probably not. And then on top of it, Ron Howard has managed to assemble a team of people or like bankroll or however it works that he's the producer, but like let that thing happen. And then a lot of the things that are on that are very subversive and also just like there's weird like incest jokes and stuff. And I think from a network perspective, it was like, we know this show is good. We like this show. We don't want to ever have to explain to advertisers what this show is. Yeah, I mean, you you can't do it considering that a big storyline is uh, Lindsay is a protester and an av- uh, activist and whatnot, and they specifically do a gag where like she, you know she's in a cage like three miles away from like the Republican National Convention or something, which is a thing that happened. It was yeah, like the free speech zones, like that was some pretty big Bush era stuff right there. I mean, it's kind of amazing that that it got made at all and that it lasted three seasons, even though the third season was uh, cut short. It's it's interesting to see on the actors, you know, the, the stars of the show, like their attitudes about it. Like, like they obviously care about it, but they're also kind of flippant. Like they're a little bit too cool for it, even though like this is literally the coolest thing that they've done. Yeah, and it always felt weird that like David Cross was there because like David Cross was always considered like a super cool comedian. And so it was it was always like whenever he was in a scene, it was like, do you guys all know who you're in a scene with? You're in a scene with David Cross. It was this ensemble cast, but the a lot of the ensemble was like people who had had careers a little bit, but hadn't made it like huge, huge yet but who were acting like they were somehow better than some of the other people on the show. It probably wasn't that dynamic. Like they're probably all friends or whatever, but it was like, there's a weird energy in that ensemble cast of all the people. Uh, So I never, uh, uh, I'm going to confess something and, you know, I'll be smitten for it, but like, I I haven't watched the Sopranos. Like when did the Sopranos come out? Oh, that was like 2000. 2000. So like, this is a, basically a prestige comedy TV show on Sorry, Sopranos was 1999. Uh, okay, so 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 99, but that was on HBO. But like, Arrested Development came out in 2003, and it was a prestige comedy network television show. 
Like, that's kind of an insane sentence to string together, like, just overall. Like, you know, you didn't have to have a cable subscription to get this. Like, you could just have a, a pair of bunny ears. That's true. It does It does feel a bit like it should be on, like, it should be on HBO or Showtime or something. It, it, it does. It is sort of ahead of its time because I think It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia would come later in 2005 and, like, kind of make good on a lot of what Arrested Development was was putting down at that time yeah you're right it was yeah a weird prestige comedy thing on network television that nobody knows why or how it exists on top of the david cross thing there was also like the portia de rossi thing where the entire time she's on screen you're like you're married to ellen what are you doing well well not yet because gay marriage in america wasn't legalized until <laughs> oh that's true yeah that's yeah that's a good point but i forgot about that but i can never square it everything about Arrested Development felt weirdly like disparate and patched together and really good, but never like super cohesive just because like everybody on the show was kind of doing their own thing and chewing scenery separately from each other in a way that was really interesting to watch, but um, very strange. It has this great ensemble cast, like you said, and everybody's great individually, but like you just can't put great things into a pot and expect it to come out good. I mean, it'd be like, you know, making chili and throwing, you know, M&Ms and Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what happened in the later seasons of the show, right? That I guess yeah, 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 you're you're right with the later seasons, yeah. Like it definitely was better when there were fewer ingredients and then as they kept adding more, it just it got more and more confused. In order to reach these kids, Hack will have to become a rapist. <laughs> so the thing that I want to talk about with the with the hack stuff is that this was 2003, 2004, and the the real key to this bit is that it's a rape joke, which is something I I joked about earlier that it was a rape joke. But but then also the thing that I notice is that because Will Arnett is so good at the voices, the the original concept for the bit actually gets completely lost. So the original concept of the of the bit is that in order to like stop a jewel thief, you have to become a jewel thief. And I understand why it's funny, which is the the reversal on it of you think, oh, in order to become a like in order to catch a jewel thief, you're gonna have to like become it, but then you think that's what it's gonna happen, but actually it gets like swapped out. And so in order to catch a jewel thief, you have to become a rapist. And so like, that's the bit, that's the core of the bit, which I don't think is surprising and that's not new. And I don't want points for figuring that out. But <laughs> the thing that happens that really quickly is it becomes in order to reach these kids, hack is going to have to become a rapist. It goes from like, you know, a subversion to just like, Instead of subtext, it's text. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the, the core of the joke is no longer the reversal. It's just the, the rape part. And because, like, you can't do, in order to reach these kids, hack is going to have to reach these kids. Like, it doesn't, that, that, that setup doesn't... It doesn't work. Yeah, the setup no longer works. So that, that bothers me a little bit from a comedy standpoint. And then also, like, yeah, just the idea that you could just do rape jokes like that on the radio... Is not like it didn't. It doesn't surprise me because this is one of like if you look at any best of Loveline stuff from from the era, you're gonna find like four different versions of this this hack rapist bit. And but it's it's interesting to think about now 
where we don't tend to do rape jokes that much anymore. The the thing that I found interesting is that in the follow-up episode where they reference it, and Dr. Drew brings it up in context of, you know, on this week's Judging Amy or whatever, which is like, oh, yeah, that's right. That was a show, wasn't it? But um, the drop isn't, you know, Hack must become a, a rapist. It's just a rapist. Like, just out of context, just, you know, Will Arnett, super gravelly, deep voice saying, a rapist. And that's the joke. Like, that's it. Like, you know, they, they they pulled everything out. They pulled out all the context. They pulled out, you know, the subversion. They did everything and just made it a rapist. Yeah, like you said, the, like the subtext just became text. No, not all right. Okay, so I think I think we're pretty good on these episodes. Like, not a lot happened that people don't remember from these, but they're kind of relevant with what happened with Dr. Drew recently and Will Arnett recently with Queeby. But one of the things I didn't do this time, but we did on the episode that got deleted, is uh, what's your background with Loveline? So my background with Loveline is that I accidentally found it uh, when I was a kid, like probably in middle school or something like that. My parents were pretty strict about bedtimes and whatnot, which makes sense considering that now I am an insomniac and I worked third shift and stuff. But um, I used to listen to it and being east of the uh, Mississippi, had on the tape delay. And uh, I used to listen a little bit when I was a kid. And then when I got out of high school, I found the archive uh, online and would download episodes. And when I was stocking shelves at the grocery store, I would, you know, burn through two or three episodes a night. And it made the night go really, really well because stocking shelves and listening to Muzak gets uh, really old real quick. Yeah, I used to do a similar thing when I was in high school. I bought this mini disc player off the Internet and mini disc like had this insane compression available where you could put like six and a half hours or something on a single mini disc. And so I would put Loveline episodes on mini disc and take them with me. And then I would like put it into the aux in on my car. And so I was basically like listening to podcasts in my car before there were really podcasts. I mean, maybe um, the no agenda guy was doing something with it around that time, but there were basically podcasts didn't really exist yet, but I was listening to podcasts in my car basically in like 2003. And just even thinking about that, like, this is super early. Uh, like, there's archives of Loveline in the mid-2000s that went back to the mid, mid-90s. mid It was a little bit spotty. But, like, there there were reliable archives from the late 90s all the way up through, you know, the, the 2000s. And this was before the iPod really even took off. Like, I had a third-gen iPod, which is the one that went uh, gangbusters for Apple. But, like, that came out in 2003 or 2004. So, like podcasts were still a few years out at this point. Yeah, but you could get you could get Loveline like pirated from the internet and even before that I remember in like 2001 maybe maybe that's right. Maybe it's a little bit later, but there were like you know you remember Shoutcast and Winamp? Yeah, man. Shit, shit. There's all sorts of fun stuff on Shoutcast. There were like pirate Shoutcast streams that would play Loveline 24/7. And I think that's how I initially found the archive was that I had found uh, like a Loveline shoutcast stream playing old episodes and I started Googling and I was like, oh, you can actually just download these. And then I was on 56K at the time, but these MP3s that they had were like 32 kilobits or something. They're just these insane 
compression sizes, like insane compression ratios with really bad audio quality that you could get like a 90 minute Loveline episode in a 15 megabyte file and maybe even less sometimes. It was crazy. And so even on 56K, I could download it and listen to it. And and when you need something to listen to... Talk radio is very, very popular for a very good reason. And podcasts have filled that void. But like when there weren't podcasts, there was, you know, reruns or archive copies of Loveline. I'm going to make the assumption that there's, you know, archives of Howard Stern and other... Yeah, there are. There are. Various, you know, morning shows and stuff like that. It's very, very interesting to kind of be on the vanguard of that, considering that, you know, the ecosystem wasn't set up, but, you know, FTP was a thing and, you know, just like straight up dumps of like, hey, here's a bunch of shows. And when you're working overnight and you have and you see, you know, three people in an eight hour shift, like, you know, you can just pop in one earbud and listen to it. And, you know, even though it's grainy and terrible, it's not the same song that you hear every, you know, 85 minutes on the loop. It feels, yeah, it feels nice that things eventually went that way because it's what I needed to happen as a human being to survive. If that hadn't happened, I don't know what I would be doing now, really. <laughs> like, I don't know what I would be listening to because I listened to so many podcasts. But yeah, back before there were podcasts, like like you said, this is what you had to do. You had to go find old recordings of radio shows and listen to those instead because there was there wasn't there weren't podcasts that you could just on demand listen to talk radio listen here kids you have it so goddamn easy you have zero idea you're living in the age of content you have quibi for fuck's sake naughty habit naughty habit so thank you very much andrew for joining me to discuss loveline and dr drew and will arnett and everything this week it was fun do you want people to reach you on the internet or no uh, if you want to reach me on the internet, I'm on the uh, the bird site. You can find me at 523-8901. I'm not going to explain why or how. You're just going to have to go look it out and uh, look at all my terrible tweets. Yeah, and I'll I'll try to put a link to your account from my account. So um, my account is at SishetKFaber on Twitter, and that's how you can find me on the show. Um, the show is Love Lined, and you can find us at lovelined.com. We recently were approved by iTunes, and so that means we're a real podcast now. And so please recommend to your friends and we will have more for you in the future. Thank you very much. Have a good night.